Welcome to Forever LDS. Rather than apologize for how long it's taken me to post episode 57, or that is to say part four of Muck Whip's Guide, I think I'll just get started. So, here we go. Muckwhip's Guide for Capturing the Latter-day Soul, Part 4. H-Mail 7. From Muckwhip at WayDownBelow.hel to Frognaught at WayDownBelow.hel. Subject, the gift. <coughs> <coughs> My dear Frognaught, I'm disappointed that your target did not fall into immediate serious transgression during his initial rendezvous with Miss Sessions, but by no means discouraged. Certainly she did everything she could. Immodest clothing, seductive hints, alluring body language. I am afraid, Frognaught. You have just experienced your first setback as a result of that interfering mechanism known as conscience. No matter. It is only an ephemeral defeat. However, I must unfortunately revoke the single credit that you earned previously. The fact is, Mr. Hansen is not fully prepared to exercise that galling gift confirmed upon him shortly after his watery dunk in the stake center's font. This gift is a far more terrifying adversary than neophyte fiends such as yourself can remotely fathom. It has cheated us out of countless victims, utilizing methods that are quite unsportsmanlike, employing the point-blank powers of the opposition's arsenal. Our advantage is that after this gift is bestowed, it must be received. This does not occur automatically. The target has to desire it, seek for it, request it. Furthermore, it's only when your target is humble and contrite, a rare condition indeed, and when he acknowledges his full dependence upon the archenemy, a rarer condition still, that he can fully benefit from its power. Therefore, our opportunities to undermine this convoluted defense increase exponentially. Like so many other teenagers in this intolerable organization, Mr. Hansen doesn't even realize that he wields this power. Oh, he may realize it in some trifling, lubberly way, but he never much ponders it. And he certainly hasn't registered its staggering ramifications. I shudder to think what might have happened if you, a mere amateur, had been confronted by the intensity 
of such a ruthless juggernaut. Never mind, it was not detected. What defeated you was the same slimy vicissitude promiscuously bestowed upon every human being ever born, religious and non-religious, regardless of race, intelligence, or culture. Members of the organization call it the light of you-know-who. The rest of the world calls it a conscience, or an innate sense of right and wrong, or they identify it with the name of a certain irritating cricket. You might have heard Headmaster Frog Goblin at the Institute describe it as the opposition's first and feeblest line of defense. And so it is. Breaking through it is always accomplished by attrition. Steady, relentless, and sure. Your boy has never given any consideration to the idea of thought control. He's atrocious at it. He's already practiced many sins repeatedly in his imagination. He practices them in computer games and in an accruing and accelerating number of virtual reality mediums, committing murder and mayhem at will, relishing such acts over and over again and again without reprisal or consequence, or so he thinks. When a target sins in his thoughts, in his fantasies, in his daily routine, it's just a matter of time before we station the actual sin under his nose and watch him lap it up like a lassa apso. Even if a transgression never actually occurs, bestowal of the gift is seriously suppressed by ample amounts of static. After you've successfully prompted your target to sin, you will face the opposition's second line of defense, namely guilt. This is also associated with the light of conscience nestled inside every soul, but its designs are considerably more shrewd and deceptive. Its message to your pygmy-minded mongrel is that he must repent, confess his crime to the archenemy and or one of his comedic representatives, and internally forsake the sin, not just for a season, but forever. Now... Ponder the archenemy's most demented paradox. No matter how often your target falls prey to our seduction, no matter how many lassoes we loop around his soul, no matter how much energy, time, and resources we invest in his incarceration, all he needs to do is repent. And the opposition slices all of our fetters, wipes the slate clean, and allows him a new beginning, a fresh go at the game. It's dispiritingly frustrating. But take heart, my able apprentice. There looms a shimmering silver lining if we can induce your boy to merely revisit the sin. The way will conspicuously open wide for us to reintroduce 
all of our cuddly old coils, and add several more to boot. So therein lies your stratagem, Frognaught. Mr. Hansen must be encouraged to repeat a sin over and over and over again. He must become addicted to it. He must be made to believe the breath of life itself might cease to flow through his body without it. Now is when you must bludgeon your target's self-esteem more viciously than ever. He must see himself as the weakest wretch on the planet, a helpless slave to our irrepressible will. This is a critical crossroad. Smoke and mirrors become your consummate allies. Never allow your target to conceive a means of escape. You must help him avoid every setting that might offer him the vaguest glimmer of hope that emancipation is even possible. Over time, we'll have the elfin rascal so twisted and tormented that he can't bear to face his own mug in the mirror. However, even after you help him to reach this state of desolation, don't think for an instant that the war is won. Such an attitude of demoralization is not entirely undesirable to the opponent, either. I've known countless imps in my department who will, at this juncture, turn their backs in a premature moment of self-congratulation and discover to their shock and dismay that the target has fallen to his knees in an awful exhibition of sorrow and shame. The target will have thrown himself upon the archenemy's mercy. He may confess to our mortification that without such grace he is entirely lost. It's a, it's a sickening scene. What's more, it's exactly what the archenemy was hoping would transpire all along. Don't you see? He wants them to discover and embrace this dependence. Acknowledging such tripe is pivotal to his unscrupulous plan. Quite often, this is a moment when our myriads of minions eternally forfeit our firmest grip. Most agonizing is when it suddenly hits a tempter like yourself that he's been playing right into the archenemy's hands. In such cases, we've actually assisted him in achieving his objective. Oh, such a realization is bitterly disconsolating and not a trifle embarrassing. No, Frognaut, instead of allowing your target to succumb to guilt and rush headlong into the archenemy's embrace, you must reassure him that the only way to eliminate his guilt is by suffocating such emotions altogether. He must conclude that guilt itself is incongruous with reason and logic. Help him to extinguish all pangs of conscience. He must begin to view many vices as outside the parameters of sin, distinct and separate 
from all rational definitions of disobedience, encourage him to bow to the innermost beast of his defective nature. It's always quite humorous if a target can be bamboozled into believing that if he fails to surrender to certain sins, it may actually be hazardous to his health. <laughs> Emphasize the notion that struggling against his inner appetite is a futile and even arrogant practice. Urge him to conclude that it was silly to have ever contemplated that he might resist. The truth is, this view is correct. He can't conquer us alone. We are far too sneaky in season to be defeated by self-discipline alone, but you must never let him in on this most fervently protected secret. Instead, he must believe it is his incontrovertible lot in life to slay all his dragons without the intervention of heaven. The more you make it a matter of personal pride, the less likely he is to fall to his knees and plead for loftier aid. To further confound the archenemy's strategy of using guilt, encourage your boy to judge himself side by side with the standards of the world. That old arthritic adage, everybody else does it, why shouldn't I, is never outdated. It's particularly effective if you can expose him to celebrities sports heroes, medical practitioners, teachers, friends, and even relatives who openly condone and promote specific sins, advocate settings wherein certain infectious transgressions are merely a running joke, a perpetual punchline. <laughs> Nothing so monumental as to be taken seriously so long as the repetition assures him that a particular vice is universal and that committing such minor infractions is normal. Remember the slogan we shouted at all those tedious institute assemblies? What is normal must become abnormal. What is abnormal must become normal. Lastly, you must establish that any person who claims not to commit certain sins is flat-out lying, or else emotionally and functionally unstable. So heed my advice, my talented tenderfoot. Until Mr. Hansen's second date with Miss Sessions, flood his thoughts with an endless cavalcade of images and ideas that will inflame his most pernicious fantasies. I trust you won't find your options for ammunition lacking. Start with the game store where he and his classmates gather. The magazine rack at any checkout counter is also at your service, as is the content of his favorite films, internet sites, and countless multimedia resources. 
Because we've been so successful at suffocating his imagination and stifling his hobbies, he simply cannot escape the veritable avalanche of images. Even the content of everyday advertisements will go to a great distance in suggesting privileges and secrets known only to the most beautiful and masculine of the race. Your first victory, Frognaught, is waiting to be plucked. I have every confidence of your inevitable triumph. But in case you fail, I've enclosed a brochure of our department's re-education camp for incompetent temptors, fully illustrated to emphasize the consequences. Your munificent maestro... Muckwhip. H-mail 8. From Muckwhip at WayDownBelow.hel to Frognaught at WayDownBelow.hel Subject, Unforeseen Developments. <coughs> <coughs> My dear Frognaught, spare me your lame litany of excuses. You grovel as if I have no sense of sound judgment or fair play. I assure you, I am teeming with both. I am perfectly aware that you're not entirely to blame for what happened. Fortunately for you, I've just finished a hearty brunch consisting of several of your co-workers who've again failed to halt the organization's progress in yet another African nation. I have therefore no appetite for gristle-ridden rookies such as yourself. I have forever notified the re-education camp of your imminent arrival if you experience any further setbacks, whether it's due to your dereliction or not. I'm particularly irked to read in your report that no one could have foreseen that Mr. Hansen's father would suffer a heart attack the very day before his all-important second date with Miss Sessions. On the contrary, any experienced tempter would have anticipated something like this from a thousand miles off. This is precisely the kind of stunt the opposition attempts whenever we are within mere centimeters of scoring a resounding victory. It's really Sputkurse. The fiend in charge of his father, who deserves my harshest discipline. Why was I not informed that this man was so close to a physical breakdown? Curse the opposition! Once again, we see that their methods are inexcusably devious and premeditated. Such an event might, if we are not quick to respond, obliterate your painstaking progress. And don't think for a minute that I will be held accountable. No, no, it's you, Frognaught. You and Sputkurse and all of the other miserable imps in charge of the family 
who will pay and pay dearly. And if any one of you is for one second entertained by this crisis, think again. Yes, yes, I too, in the murkily distant past, allowed myself to bask in the sheer pleasure of human suffering, to smirk at death, pain, and mourning, like a gluttonous fool slobbering over a strip of half-cooked bacon. But know this, and know it well. In the end, it is virtually always a tool of the arch-enemy. Never mind the seeming inconsistency. Or did you fail to grasp that he permits suffering, pain, and grief to gratify his own self-serving ends? It invariably becomes his secret weapon, his surefire prescription for jarring human beings into rethinking their place in the universe. The unhappy result is generally that the arch-enemy, his gospel, and his kingdom become more sharply attuned in the target's daily contemplations. Never mind, the damage is done. Your job is now to launch an immediate full-scale offensive against your boy's conception of fairness and veracity. Youth are particularly vulnerable on this point. They'll blast the trumpet of injustice whenever faced with major or even minor tragedies as well as trifling inconveniences. The only way to keep Mr. Hansen from turning to the archenemy is to prompt him to turn inward. If your boy can become absorbed in his own misery, repeatedly muttering, Why me? And woe is me. Then and only then, are we in hell allowed to relish any pleasure at human suffering? Sputkurs informs me that the target's father did, in fact, survive the heart attack and is at present recovering in a nearby hospital. This is regrettable. If he had expired, the man would have been most assuredly ours. As it is, Sputkurs faces the prospect of watching 40 years of focused, intensive labor flushed into the sewer. He has no imp to blame but himself. I told him years ago that if he didn't lead the boy's father toward even deeper indulgences of appetite and addiction, some half-baked calamity like this was bound to occur. Even now, this oaf is engaged in a rigorous reflection about his life and any lasting contribution he may have made in the temporal realm. Sputkurs will be picking up the pieces for weeks, maybe months. But don't worry yourself about his impending punishments, my apprentice. Your task remains clear. Don't allow your Bettelbug to spend any time pondering the eternal ramifications of such nonsense. This is always an odious road. Instead, Urge him to seek refuge away from it all. 
convince him that he must escape the pressure, tantalize him with whatever sin you deem best. Despite appearances, this is a perfect time to convey him into the clutches of Miss Sessions. Let him envision her embrace as a guaranteed remedy against all earthly anxiety. You must also introduce him to his first taste of narcotics. Oh, there are oodles of opportunities. Must I make you a laundry list? Go to! Have at it! Attack! If you can rope this boy into one vice, one deliciously wicked indulgence, an adorable scene indeed will start to unfold. We see it time and again in the lives of teenagers brought up in the organization. Once they get a taste of some delectable sin, they'll often proceed to shatter every edict that ever restrained them. They will declare, in essence, Well, I messed up once. Might as well mess up all the way. This is admittedly an exquisitely satisfying moment for all of us in the lower realms. My own description of such exhilaration could never do it justice. To ensure that it happens, you must contort your target's definition of good and bad. Let him deduce that the difference between them is as murky as mud. Once you cross over that line, there's no going back. Advise him that he must now wear the badge of being bad for all time and don the appropriate trappings. If some meddling church leader or guardian tries to tell him that righteousness is a direction rather than a position, distract his attention with the latest viral video. Or, better yet, cloud his thoughts with fear and dread. Regarding the current crisis with his father, your next report had better be brimming over with decisive news of your target's spiraling descent. Spare me none of the juicier details. In light of other news I'm receiving about the dedication of yet another of the organization's gaudy temples, I may be in dire need of a few phrases of good cheer. Your amicable administrator, Muckawhip. H-Mail 9 from Muckwhip at WayDownBelow.hel to Frognaught at WayDownBelow.hel Subject, Miss Paxton. <laughs> My dear... Frognaught. How dare you prattle on about an unexpected turn of events or solid hopes for progress in the future. It's no use trying to gloss over the situation. The long and short of it is that you have let things devolve from bad to worse. Really, Frognaught, did you actually think that just because his first effort at prayer was a momentous monologue of inarticulate ramblings that the archenemy would be unlikely to respond? 
Have you lost your limited mind? Have you given permanent leave to your perspicacity? Did Professor Frog Goblin teach you nothing? Would your years at the Institute have been better spent fashioning spittoons to catch the drool of our headmaster's gargoyles? For nearly a decade, your boy has been talking to the archenemy much the same way that a carnival clown talks to a pet cockatiel. Rarely have his supplications consisted of more than 20 or 30 words. Customarily, they've only been articulated in church or over some slobbery meal. And never have they been spoken without the pell-mell objective of arriving at the end in the briefest possible span. Now, the stubby nebbish seemingly behind your back has gone and put his whole heart into it. He got down on both knees and talked to the archenemy. Really talked to him. The whole thing was revolting. Forget the fact that much of what he muttered involved fears of the future and a tedious rhapsody on self-doubt. You can be quite certain the words reached their intended destination. He was listening. And in reply, he showered down such an outpouring of compassion you'd have thought he hadn't heard from the brat in eons. It was like watching some toad-like alien phoning home and receiving in reply an armada of motherships. Do you not see what has happened, Frognot? Do you comprehend the full impact of this disaster? The termite may actually think he now has a testimony. Before long, we'll see him standing behind that repulsive podium once per month, along with the rest of those pathetic bleeders. The same abysmal pulpit he used to parody under his breath for all its superficiality and pomp. And don't think I failed to notice how your report conveniently skipped any mention of your target's misadventures with Miss Sessions. Were you hoping I might overlook it? Are you so naive as to think that I have only your news reports to depend upon? My secret police have kindly updated me on the situation, and I am justifiably horrified. Not only has their relationship fizzled into one of innocuous friendship, but because of your target's professed desire to serve a mission, Miss Sessions is, out of the clear blue, questioning her loyalty to us. We now stand to lose not only Mr. Hansen, but the services of one of our most efficient and faithful operatives. And what about this Miss Tracy Paxton that he met at the game store? Don't pretend you don't know who I mean. The girl he met just before he quit the store to work for the delivery service. Another of your blunders for which you will be held to full account. Although you deliberately failed to mention her, 
I am informed that he's become quite chummy with this Puritan prissy. As I read this girl's dossier, I wretched with disgust. The self-righteous shrew, the Victorian prude, even though she comes from a broken and financially destitute home, my finest fiends cannot seem to make a significant dent in her defenses. Half the time, they can't even get near her. The archenemy's lackeys brood over her like Dobermans. We can't even goad her to envy the wealth of others. It's almost as if she doesn't know she's poor. As if she cannot grasp that nearly every dress she owns is practically a hand-me-down from the handcart pioneers. Our best hope of beating her at her own game seems to reside in her compulsion to rescue lost little puppies like your target. As far as we can tell, she will quickly lose interest as soon as he fails to reach her lofty expectations. But it may be years before we can fully exploit this deficiency. She is a nuisance of the highest order. Her association with Mr. Hansen must be halted at any cost. Just being in her presence should make your boy feel as if all his inadequacies should be blazing as brightly as Hong Kong Harbor at New Year's. Advise him that Miss Paxton feels no genuine attachment, but is solely on a mission of mercy. Her attraction to him increased tenfold the instant she heard that he was contemplating a mission. If your boy can be made to suspect that Miss Paxton's devotions are as artificial as silicone, you will exploit a rift that will make their relationship unendurable. If you play this game with just the right subtlety, I'll tell you precisely what will happen. You will foster in him a determined, albeit unconscious, desire to see this prima donna definitively corrupted. He will become obsessed with pulling her down to his own sewage-sodden level. I doubt he will succeed, but the corollary bitterness and the bruises to his fragile ego will ignite a spectacle of ill-feeling that you can quickly transform into full-blown enmity. Your boy already has a nasty habit of transferring hatred of self and hatred of others into hatred for the organization. This is, without a doubt, your surest course for unraveling his current perceptions. Only with unwavering diligence can you speedily restore that lovely negative attitude that formerly held him bound. I shouldn't have to tell you, Frognot, if your target submits any mission papers, retribution will be swift and certain. This is your final warning. Time is running out. I suggest you redouble your efforts immediately. 
Despite the fact that our department is already grossly over budget for the fiscal year, I am extending to you an increase in resources for the purpose of chloroforming your target's newfound spiritual well-being and darkening his resurging spiritual intellect. You may afflict your boy at will with a gargantuan hailstorm of gloominess and a steam-smashing depression. <laughs> Let's just see him pray his way out of this one. Your determined Dementor, McQuip. Thank you for joining us today on Forever LDS. Okay, I guess I will apologize for how long it's taken me to post episode 57 and add this promise. You won't have to wait nearly as long for episode 58. So many topics to explore, so many interesting people to interview, and so little time. Please remember, if you don't feel as close to the Lord today as you did yesterday, who do you suppose it was that moved? This is Chris Heimerdinger, and this is Forever LDS.